Okay. Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. We are on episode we don't know anymore because I don't think we've recorded an episode during this season of COVID. We were right now. You have been listening to episodes. In fact, Tad Delay was on some recent Mm -hmm. ones that we recorded. I think in January. Yeah, it's been forever. (laughs) But just a minute from your perspective. It's pretty wild. I don't know what happened in the last seven months. I no longer live in Denver. And so here we are on on doing the Zoom thing. Uh, we got has a new baby. Yeah. Look, oh, yes. yeah. I have a child. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic happened, but I had a child. So uh, <laughs> I hope you all have enjoyed your misery. I have a cute little baby just cheering me up. So, yeah. And we also have Dan here. And Dan has not had another baby or his wife hasn't. But your toddler, she's probably keeping yeah. you busy. Oh, yeah. I got a two-year-old, so, you know. <laughs> You're always busy. Mm-hmm. Do you have a new you... house, though, since, is that this this year? Yeah, that was January. I think the last time we recorded was right after that, February or something. Was that the letting go? The let go? Mm-hmm. That's, that really does feel crazy because so much has happened since then. Mm-hmm. Exponentially. I actually listened to that one back and it was super weird. Do you not like listening to your podcast with no, no, your no. particular just, content? It was just in terms of the content and the, the material. Uh, I thought it was pretty relevant, not knowing what was going to happen. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what made it weird. <laughs> so no no pandemic cats going on, Janelle? No, no. We have no. not gotten any more cats. We pulled the trigger and got got a pandemic puppy. So I feel like... You know, Tad and I, we're in the same boat, except for I can't, you know, I, I can put mine in a crate. And you can't do that with yours. No, that would be child <laughs> abuse, which is one of the yeah, issues in this selection, apparently. Yes. They're gonna, Whether gonna we're... Yeah. <laughs> Segway into the topic tonight. Whether uh, you're on the QAnon side or the, 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 the toddler infant care facilities, you know, child abuse is, is on, is on like, you know, whatever you can edit this out if you need, but uh, you know, whatever. There's probably <laughs> not going to be much editing. So okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so on this episode, this will be raw and unfiltered and published pretty soon because we have an election coming up and Janelle had sent out a message saying that uh, we should talk about it, talk about everything surrounding it and our different perspectives. And so Janelle's going to guide us tonight in a healthy way. But if you like the episode or you don't, any of our shows, you can always share it on the line, like it, review it, rate it, and all that good stuff. You can find all of our other stuff on brutheology.org. We do have chapters across the country that are still meeting on Zoom. And hopefully, Lord willing, in person at some point, I don't know when, 2021-ish. I don't know. We'll see. All right, Janelle, you ready to rock and roll? Oh, by the way, we should introduce everybody. (laughs) I'm Ryan. I am the co-director. Janelle is uh, getting her headset worked on right now. She's obviously the other co-director. Dan, the man, Rosado, and Dr. Tad DeLay. So good to have uh, everybody back. It's been a while. Very good. Can you hear me now? All right. I couldn't hear anything you were talking about, so you'll have to catch me up. All good things. All just right. intros. It was just intros. 
Oh, basically, yeah. I I'm just gonna say, Janelle, let's go. You're All gonna right. gu- you're gonna guide us through the night and make sure that we're on point. So part of the reason that I wanted to meet and kind of do this for all of our listeners is because I just listened to Tad talk about uh, just kind of this this relationship between Christianity and evangelicalism. And we're seeing a lot of that in this election cycle. And then listening to Dan talk about letting go and moving forward. But also um, Dan knows that I'm part of a pack and uh, it mixes religion and politics and He's made me think a lot about that in the relationship to empire. So that's been at the front of my mind this season. Um, and then Ryan has moved and has changed environments. And so I wanted us to kind of hear what he has to say about what that's been like. Um, and uh, I don't know what I have to offer, but we'll we'll all be in this together. So, so I thought maybe um, it would be fun to start with Tad. If you're up for it, um, you talk about in your book against uh, propaganda and fascism. And I feel like those two things are very present in this whole cycle. So I'm really going to let you, um, you know, go which direction you want. And we'll ask questions and kind of uh, walk through that. But I feel like especially propaganda has been really high functioning in this. And I'm not sure people always know what that means and uh, how we interact with it. So maybe if you could walk us through some of that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Yeah, the word propaganda has had a a number of different meanings in uh, in the 20th and early 21st century, right? And like now we tend to think of it as as necessarily nefarious or misleading or whatnot. Uh, But there's a a number of cases of like, uh, like, like in where European like cabinet ministers would just be called like the minister of propaganda or whatever. And it was it was almost like a press secretary position for a long time. Right. So like the the term has come to mean a a number of different things. And uh, in my book, I'm kind of interested in just kind of the the span of early 20th century to now, like how this term works and um, like what it means. And uh, I, I find it kind of interesting to think about how we invent, uh, we invented like as a species, we invented writing uh, a little over 5,000 years ago. And between then and now, kind of the, the most interesting I- innovation has obviously been the internet. Uh, you know, like, I mean, we kind of get like the, like the printing press is quite a significant move. Uh, and then AM talk radio uh, becomes like an interesting kind of moment in the early 20th century, which is kind of where we start to see like political and religious propaganda kind of spewing out over the airwaves in a very accessible way. But we're in a very different moment now um, and I, I think I kind of like uh, whether we're talking about like kind of the free floating kind of improvised propaganda of social media uh, where like it doesn't really matter what's true or not. Like what matters is like that that you like what you're consuming uh uh, give shape to what you feel, right? Uh, in, in kind of like dumb ways and like increasingly like stupid ways. Um, like whether, whether we're talking about that or like kind of like traditional propaganda, like Fox News, um, which is like very interesting, I think, because it kind of functions as a state propaganda outlet, but it's privatized. So it doesn't have to shift back and forth when, uh, you know, presumably like democracy takes action and shifts power back to a different party. Um, we're in like a really interesting time as far as like how propaganda works and um 
and i i guess like my my kind of most interesting like the 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 quotes that like really always stand out to me that maybe would be good for me to like kind of conclude on and and kind of jump back in if if you have like something that you want to redirect me on but um i always like when i think of propaganda i always think back to hannah arendt's quote it's a rather famous quote um where um i'm trying to scroll through my book here and find this Yes. Um, in Han- Hannah Arendt's Origins of Totalitarianism, she kind of talks about the way that propaganda worked in the the like authoritarian mach- regimes of the 1930s um, and 40s. And she says at one point, um, in an ever-changing, incomprehensible world, the masses had reached the point where they would at the same time believe everything and nothing, believe that everything was possible and nothing was true. The mixture in itself was remarkable enough because it spelled the end of the illusion that gullibility was a weakness of unsuspecting primitive souls and cynicism, the vice of superior refined minds. Mass propaganda discovered that its audience was ready at all times to believe the worst, no matter how absurd. It did not particularly matter, uh, did not, uh, sorry, and it did not particularly object to being the because it held every statement to be a lie anyhow, which I, by the way, I think is very interesting for like whether we're talking about QAnon or like all a politician's lie, like just the assumption that everyone is lying to us all the time. Anyways, yeah. back to Arendt, um, her quote, the, totalita- the totalitarian mass leaders base their propaganda on the correct psychological assumption that under such conditions, one can make people believe the most fantastic statements one day and trust that if the next day they were given irrefutable proof of their falsehood, they would take refuge in cynicism. Instead of deserting the leaders who had lied to them, they would protest that they had known all along that the statement was a lie and would admire the leaders for their superior tactical cleverness. End of quote. I think that's a fascinating idea. Like the idea that you could literally respect your leaders for lying to you like bold face lie like like that you would just think that that's really cool that they're willing to lie like that's classic donald or something like that um that, that, i mean like that's a that's a feature of human psychology that i think we kind of need to reckon with that people actually kind of want to be deceived um that people kind of want to know that somebody is there kind of taking control of things, uh, that things that, you know, has everything sorted out and is just kind of guiding us along and is waiting for us to just kind of, uh, let them take the wheel and steer, so to speak. Um, and that, I mean, that, that's kind of like my way of thinking about propaganda is that, uh, people want to be deceived. Actually, people really want to know that there's some subject out there supposed to know. And even if it's a, if it's a, like a, like a, um, and like a stupid old game show host um like you you really want to know that somebody out there like it, it's not just like senile ridiculousness it like there's it, it, it's not just like a, 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 a you know like a disease running rampant uh for no reason whatsoever you want to think that there's some logic to everything that's going on and you know for whatever reason that that logic is just something that's beyond your grasp so that i mean um I did, i'll wind down here and and if you want to take this in a different direction but that's that's kind of how i think of propaganda it's 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 directed at at multiple different levels it's it's you know it's directed at different groups of people and in at the ideal subject i guess in conclusion the ideal subject of propaganda is the cynical subject who doesn't believe anything can be discerned who thinks that everybody has something to contribute all sides have an equal point um who knows what the truth is etc etc 
Yeah, Tad, I'm curious why you think, I mean, you kind of talked about it, but it, um, why you think it is that people want to be lied to? You know, I, I've heard about, um, there's different psychologists or different sociologists that'll use different methods to explain this kind of behavior, but one of them is is uh, some kind of bias for a simple lie than a complex truth. Do you think that's playing a part into this or is it something else entirely? No, I think that works. That I mean, people people want to be deceived for a number of different reasons, right? Like, I mean, it can be like like literally every single one of us has wanted to be deceived at some point or another, right? Like when you when you know that the truth is actually something that you're maybe like not so into and like would rather not think about. Um you know, like, um, I mean, this is kind of like just a normal part of being a human is that like you, you want some sort of security and stability. you like the mind wants a sort of epistemic stasis in the same way that the body wants a homeostasis. Um, like, like relationships want a certain stasis, family units want a certain stasis, friendships want a certain stasis. Um, I, I mean, like I'm, I'm speaking a bit metaphorically here, but like, hopefully this connects like, like enough, um, people want a certain stasis and predictability and it's often easier just to convince ourselves uh, that we um, can like make sense of the world through some sort of, um, I don't know, like crafty way of like of, of building some sort of coherence when actually like the the solution might be like rather simple and it might just be like actually people really like being lied to um, actually like you know, um, I, well, I don't know, like we'd have plenty of examples in front of us, but, um, like, uh, I keep like mentioning kind of offhand, like QAnon, I think is a very interesting, like as a, as a kind of like a really weird conspiracy theory that we've seen kind of explode since the pandemic began because everyone's quarantined at home and kind of like relying on social media in order to have some sort of, um, you know, like, like social connection. Um, but like, uh, do you want to believe that your political opponents are, uh, have like principled objections to your position or are like uh, satanic child abusing molesters who are trying to suck adrenochrome out of the bodies of dead children or something? Um, one of those is more interesting. <laughs> uh, one of those is more, <laughs> has like more to explore, like, like what, what are you talking about? Um, and, um, you know, um, I don't know, like there, there's something about like there's something about like the human desire for coherence that like, I guess, leads us to want to make some sense out of out of the nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I think a great example right now is is we're all being told that the uh, the virus is ending and it's it's going away. And that's a truth that we all want to believe. We all really badly want to believe that this is ending. But today i think was our third highest day so far and mm -hmm. so um yeah i mean i think it's right in front of us it, it's just i think it's hard the way you you read that definition and it's absolutely what we're seeing in everyday life and there are many people that just aren't even questioning this um so, so this yeah and that's something that has got me thinking about facts versus truth lately and you know, because truth is so relative, and yet uh, we we can say there are there are facts that we can point to, but truth and facts, especially in today's age, we're we're seeing two different worlds, two different like an an ideology, almost a worldview with with truth, right, versus the facts. Like uh, whereas back in the day, I think maybe I don't know, I wasn't alive during a different generation in time, um, but I think that they would have thought that would be those would be synonymous, you know. Um, 
so I'm curious why this is happening right now. I mean, this is like the perfect storm 2020 for sure. It is, it's an awful effing storm. Uh, but uh, why, why do you guys think that's happening? That we have facts on one hand, clear facts, and then yet uh, truth that is literally trumping facts. So your your candidate is it, he needs to be the guy, right? Is that it at the end of the day? Uh, fits all, checks all the boxes, even though even though he doesn't or she doesn't, whomever that person may be. Like we'll do whatever we can to make sure that person is the right person for us and our and our our dreams that we don't even believe in. Like we've, we've allowed somebody else to write the script for our dreams. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I, if nobody else wants to jump in, I, I, like my, like where my mind goes there is that like, so I, I am an ethics teacher with like, so I'm working with like, like 18 year olds, like in, in a, like an overwhelmingly white state. And so like, I, like, I'm constantly interacting with like views that like, kind of like the, you can't talk about ethics without getting into politics, obviously. So like every day, like the, all the prompts that I give them, everything that we're reading kind of like like goes back into this like weird milieu where we're talking actually about Trump when we're supposed to be talking about like utilitarianism or Plato or something like that, right? Um, so I think like one of the more interesting, like, you know, like for recently I was uh, telling students that uh, giving a students a prompt to talk about COVID in relation to utilitarianism, right? Like the idea, the idea that we could and perhaps should design society such that it benefits the greatest number of people for the greatest amount of satisfaction or the least amount of pain. And I noticed that like even talking like in very plain terms about like, should we or should we we not design society to emphasize the greatest amount of happiness or the least amount of pain. Um, that is like that, even just that phrasing creates a roadblock with something like COVID, right? Because it's become so politicized in, in like in a very interesting way, because like, like COVID, like all of the politicization around COVID is just a replication of like what anti-vaxxer movements have been doing for like, like for the last like 10, 15 years. Um, but it's like, it's, it's very like much in your face and it's like, it's very politicized like it's polarized in a left-right way in which like in a, in a way that anti-vaxxer movements were not right because you had like left and right anti-vaxxers kind of like parroting the same ideas um and with covid um i guess like the the simplest way to kind of like convey what i'm seeing as a as a professor interacting with 18 year olds is that uh, some of my students are able to kind of very clearly say we should do what saves the most lives because that's the greatest happiness overall, right? Like we should, we should find ways to not cut off grandpa from the ventilator if we can do so, right? But other students come in like who are like come from very kind of clearly a different political angles. And they will say that like, actually, I don't want to wear a mask. And so if we're emphasizing the greatest happiness, I shouldn't have to wear a mask. And like, I think that that dynamic is interesting, because some are saying like, we should promote the greatest happiness by saving lives. And others are saying like, we should promote the greatest happiness by not burdening people with wearing masks and just like let the virus spread if it will, but like do what, do what people should be able to do what they want. And I think that that's an interesting difference in the, in the idea of what happiness is and like in what we want our elected leaders promoting. 
Um, so I'll stop there, but um, just just from like kind of the ground level interpreting what 18 year olds are kind of like seeing in this moment, um, like I, I think that that's somewhat interesting to, to kind of notice that, that, that wide gap between the two ways to think about this problem. It's interesting because in the kind of progressive circle that I've been in talking with people is we, we're talking a lot about like, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And I think we're seeing different answers to that as well. Um, For those of us kind of on the, I guess, the politically left, like taking care of your neighbor means wearing your mask and dealing with it and staying six feet apart and doing everything you can to not spread it. And um, to many other people, loving your neighbor means being able to see my family and my friends and do the activities that I don't want to miss out on. And... I I think it becomes very hard to talk about because you're using the same, you you are saying the same weighing mechanism, but the way that it measures out is very, very different. Um, And I I worry a lot about how do we, how are we going to come out of this? I mean, if, if the election settles things and we move on to the next president, whoever that is, how do we begin talking to each other again when we're really speaking different languages? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have everything from what we saw last night. Dodgers win the World Series. They're celebrating. The dude, the third baseman, Turner, if you don't know baseball, it uh, doesn't really matter. But he got tested positive in the middle of the game. And so you're like, where did Turner go? I mean, he's... He's always, he's, he's always out there. Oh, I guess he's sick or something. Well, he, he gets tested positive. And if y'all saw this, they're celebrating out in the field. He comes out there with the mask on and you're like, oh man, like he's like breaking the, the legitimate rules of the organization in Major League Baseball. And he's on national television after they won the World Series. Uh, he takes the mask off and he's there hugging his coach, by the way, who was a cancer survivor. Um yeah, and he's hugging players, and they're taking photos. Like, this is on national television. So I saw that uh, this morning, and I thought, dear God, like, all that does – I mean, what, what, who, which crowd does that speak to, right? I and mean, we, we know what crowd that speaks to. But you have somebody on that level who's – and I think that's, that's what's worrisome to me. I mean, yeah, we should work on things locally for sure. We have these awkward conversations with people, and they reach, they, they reach out their hand – and they shake your hand. You're like, ah, okay. I mean, they're not wearing masks and all that. Um, that's a, that's what I deal with here a lot. Um, but when you're on national TV and these are people who like children are looking up to baseball players that just won the world series, that's a big deal. Um, so that, that to me is just, it's a picture of what our country has become. These, these two different extremes of, you know, if you don't wear a mask, we should, you should, you know, get fined to, to like, no, I'm going to celebrate and do what I want to do and, and be a, a super spreader, you know? <laughs> so is there like historically, Tad, is this, where does this behavior lead, lead us? Do we have examples of this in the, in the work that you've done of where this kind of split leads us? Um. I guess it would depend on what kind of split we're talking about, right? Like, I mean, uh, and that's kind of like the troubling, like, predicament of our time is that we're talking about multiple crises at once, right? We're talking about 
like a, a rampant virus, but we're also talking about a society that's increasingly balkanized and on the verge of a civil war. So um so if we if we look back i mean like anyone who's done like a lot of work in like christian thought over time as as i have done has definitely like hit on like plague moments here and there in the way that those plague moments uh, awkwardly tend to intersect with uh climate crises uh you know like like especially in europe and um you know, like the, how do people respond to bubonic plague or smallpox? They, they tend to like play it down. Like it's not that big a deal and you can't do anything about it. So you just go about it and like see, like if you die, you die. Uh, but there's nothing you can do about it, right? I mean, like there's nothing new about our moment interacting with co- like this highly lethal virus who like even if it doesn't kill you, like a third of people get brain damage and like who knows how many people like are, are getting like heart and lung and kidney and liver disease or something like that from it. Like it, it's a it's a very, very damaging virus but people are responding basically the same way that they would if it if it was the bubonic plague right like in and also if this virus killed children instead of just old people we would probably be responding roughly the same way um so like that's that's one thing and then like the whole um i don't know like the the whole like the at the same time, we have like this immense, like this, this, this uh, protest in favor of, of like this plea that black lives matter as much as any other life that happens. Like, I, I find it inconceivable that like this level of, of, of aggressive, of, of aggressive protest would happen without COVID and several months of being locked home uh, before that. Um, you know, like those, those types of moments are, are monumental. Like they're historic. Uh, they make me think about how like there were estimates that like the civil war probably killed many tens or even possibly a hundred thousand or more people more than are on the official death toll because like people actually just killed their neighbors and like it, it was just never kind of recorded um and like it, when i when you look at like the the way that we're talking about violence in our society right now like how does it get framed it gets framed as like either antifa left or it gets framed as like left and right both are being violent uh when in fact like obviously it only takes a moment's reflection to kind of say obviously 99.9 percent of the violence is happening from one side right like it's it's the hundreds or even thousands of people are night that are getting gassed or beaten by the police uh as well as like like antifa militias or whatever and and, and occasionally like a left winger like or like a you know like a an, an anti-racist protester like responds but like i mean like those there's there's all kinds of antecedents for like this type of of violence and uh in kind of like uh, careless disregard in our past uh like none of this is new and it's it's very troubling to kind of like be looking at this and kind of thinking like oh yeah like i've seen this before i've seen i've seen like the the way that people think that viruses are are ridiculous i i've definitely seen the way that uh like uh people can act out in severely bigoted violence and blame the people who are being victimized. Like all of that is well within my repertoire and it's, it's absolutely horrifying to kind of see this playing out in very clear patterns. Um, and, 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 and none of this is secret, right? Like none of, you know, like it's just, it's just that the side who is doing the violence has the megaphone and, and it, perhaps that's the, the real problem here. Yeah, and it's it's not that we didn't see it coming. Um, your your listen, the listeners don't know this, but when um, we did beer camp here in Denver, um, so when was that, Ryan? That was August of 
20... three, three years ago. I don't know. Yeah, that's or 18. I, I was here for it, but like, yeah, so it must have been 17 or 18. Yeah. And so one night, um, the speakers and Ryan and I, we went out uh, to grab a bite to eat. And Tad was talking with me along the way about the steps towards fascism. And mm -hmm. we were just having like it was an uh, in that moment, it was kind of an intellectual conversation for me, at least of, oh, these are the steps and this is what's happening. And in actuality, this is actually what was starting to happen. Um, and and I've, yeah. I've thought back to that moment many times as we've been going through this year of this is not just book learning. This is not just history. These things are happening in front of us. So mm. um, along with that movement, I'd like to bring Dan in a little bit and talk about kind of how, okay, He'll, he'll be back in a second. Um, I'd like us to kind of also talk a little bit about religion and how religion interacts with this, everything that's going on, because, I mean, we're all living in it. And so we're seeing these religious overtones that are happening on both sides. Um, so how does kind of this intersection between religion and politics and the, the marriage between them, um, what does that do to the intensity and the um sorry if i'm missing words here i guess what does that do to the intensity and the direction of where things go when we start using this religious language as well on top of a pandemic on top of civil rights issues um and then having religion sometimes claim to be right in one direction or another does any, anyone can jump mm. in well, if God is for us, who can be against us, Janelle, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If, if I'm automatically right, then like who dare says that I'm wrong, right? So. Yeah. Even when your guy, like, you have to make excuses for because he's not faithful. Well, I mean, like, who, like, is that a Trump reference? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Trump, like, like, is like a sadist. Like, that's like the ultimate God character, right? Like, that's that's like a a very kind of like, like a violent dad figure, right? Like, I mean, like, how is Trump not like a like a divine good wise God mm -hmm. figure, right? Um, you know, like he he plays like a. a a character on TV, right? Like the, I mean, right. like the, the very like godlike figure when we get down to it, right? Um, I always think of like Robert Reich, who was like a you know, like a psychoanalyst who was working during the Second World War, in uh, his kind of his definition of fascism, uh, which is not like one that I wholly subscribe to. Like in my book, I kind of I, I have this po pulled up if we need to get into it, but I, I I'm like a, a little more aligned with um, Robert Paxton, who is a more contemporary theorist of fascism, but um, Robert Reich. Uh, said that basically fascism is what you get in a highly mechanized society that is like ultra repressed and like trained to like respect authoritarian figures like first off the father in the home but also like the you know the big man who's like leading our our society and like putting us back on the path of greatness or whatever um you know robert reich is kind of like yeah if you take like 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 a lot of repression and give people an outlet for that repression this is what you get right like it, it's it's not it's not illogical it's not like people being dumb or stupid it's it's a way for them to kind of like 
have pleasure and like have meaning in their life. Uh, and it just so happens to be uh, done at the expense of people who don't have as much power as you, uh, namely through like the mass violence against those people. Yeah. Um, I, I like I, I find like, I mean, just to kind of, I guess, springboard is like I find Robert Paxton's definition more helpful, which is like where he says like, um, they have this pulled up in front of me, but fascism may be defined as a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline, humiliation, victimhood, compensatory cults of unity and energy and purity in which a mass, uh, like a party-based committed nationalist movement of militants working in uneasy, like effective collaboration with traditional elites, abandons democratic liberties, which I think is kind of interesting right now, abandons democratic liberties and pursues redemptive violence in order to like expand their power um and like and, that, and that's kind of like to me that's that's how i kind of think of this moment is uh that it's not clear that 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 movement will win but it's clear that that movement exists and it's, mm -hmm. it's clear to me why that movement exists and, and it makes sense that it exists yeah and unfortunately christianity in america has bolstered uh, authoritarianism um a particular flavor of white Christianity has uh, prepared people's hearts, uh, if you will, for a fascist takeover. Um, I f forget her name. Is it? Uh, yeah, let me look this up. Yeah, Dor Dorothy Soleil uh, yeah. coined the term Christofascism, and it's exactly this. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is that, to the best of my knowledge, it's. Uh, has less to do with left and right and has to do about theology proper and how uh, Christ is um, presented and the role of, of politics and religion and that intersection. So you you could see this play out um, and, and I'm not trying to do a both sides uh, <laughs> um, thing right now, but uh, it's, it's to me, it's a warning for Christians that think, oh, that, that can't happen with us. We're progressive. Mm -hmm. um, when really uh, putting a particular kind of Christianity at the center of social public life can, um, can lead to a type of Christo-fascism. And, and right now we're just happen, happen to see the, the, the far-right extremist um, manifestation of it. And I would kind of blame Christianity in particular, but maybe religion in general um, for prepping people's hearts, right? You have an authoritarian God, and then you have a guy who just so happens to enflesh the authoritarian figure, then people are going to uh, relate to this person uh, the way we're seeing it play out. Well, and many of us were raised in, you were reading it in the definition in these repressed types of traditions where purity was uh, most important, where the pastor held the supreme authority. Um, there, there wasn't room for disagreement there. And if you chose to disagree, you were often expelled. And I think that, and so there wasn't room to speak freely, to wrestle with some of these issues that we had growing up. Um, and, and it's interesting to me as well that you're seeing some of the response that you read in that definition in the boomers, as well as in like Gen X um, mm -hmm. and, and Gen Y. 
Um, it seems like you're seeing that repression come out in lots of different ways in different age groups from a yes, similar yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, and th- I mean that's that's a, like a that's the key observation, right? That like I mean that's super important what you just said because it's it's not like um it like like there is there is a a sizable portion of the U.S. which is increasingly shrinking, like supposedly like white evangelicals or whatever, uh, but still makes up like at least one in three and probably more of the Republican base, um and. And like that, like what you were taught in that world is to like not trust yourself, not right. don't trust your instincts, trust your authority figures and the people who have been like put like there by God or like by godly men, <laughs> tend to be men, right? Like above yep. you and and you were told to like not trust yourself, right? So you like if you grew up in that world, it makes sense that you could look out at people saying like oh hey like they have a tender care facility like where they like child abuse toddlers that they they separated from their parents as part of a kidnapping policy um but they mean well right like like that's that's actually a logical like jump for you if you grew up in that world is that like is that like literally tormenting children in concentration camps is like well like i mean like whatever like that that my authorities have like they said that and you know like that they've they've deigned that that is uh like an appropriate action and like there's probably another side that i haven't considered right like i mean that's your impulse is to kind of say um maybe there's something else that i haven't considered and and that's the true danger of this moment is that and like kind of going back to hannah Arendt's like uh like perspective on this is like it's it's not like that you're supposed to be fully convinced it's just it's just that you're supposed to be convinced enough that you're not a hundred percent sure that like the truth can be known that the good can be known and even with your and when you're confronted with things like ecocide or uh torture of children uh or like you like uh you know like letting a letting a pandemic runs free and kill grandmas and like whatever else like all all like all that needs to happen is that you get to a point where you can't quite tell if that's good or not and and maybe there's another side where that would be good and i just haven't considered the arguments yet and like that that's evangelicalism as a nutshell right Right. Like that's especially white evangelicalism is like you are trained to kind of think like maybe maybe my authority figures know more than me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- I mean, thank you for bringing that up. But I think that's a very important point there. Yeah. And, and, and Hannah Arendt, um, you know, coined the term the banality of evil, you know, and, and I think that's what we're seeing play out. And you touched on that, that, um, you know the the people that carry out these atrocities are are not sociopaths they're just for the most part ordinary people mm-hmm. and that's kind of even more disturbing <laughs> Yeah, well, like me. mass mass evil is like boring right like it, i mean it it happened like like the most like like um Mitch McConnell has killed more Americans, but by far than any other person in all of history, um, possibly than any other like single person combined, right? Just through policy, right? Um, and but it doesn't feel that way. And I don't think I like I don't tend to like think of him as like a particular like mass murderer in the same way that I think of Osama bin Laden or something like that, right? Um, even though Mitch McConnell has like unequivocally killed more people, like by by a wide margin, um, because when evil happens, it tends to be very 
bureaucratic and kind of boring. And it happens as kind of like a campaign slogan, like throwaway. No one really thought about it. Uh, but when you put it into policy, uh, you end up uh, making cigarettes legal and depriving healthcare so that, that like 40 or 50,000 people per year die, right? Um, no big deal, right? But like, I mean, that that's that's banality of evil, right? Like it's, it's just very boring. It's not particularly interesting. Um, it, it's what it's definitely like like killing three thousand people in New York is kind of interesting uh, on nine eleven, but like killing forty thousand people per year who don't have health care that's not that interesting. It's actually kind of boring, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's that's banality of evil, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it's I think part of it's people just trying to make sense of life, and they don't process it all. I mean, I think Orwell warns us of that in 1984 that we'll have we'll have a war on the right and a war on the left or the east and the west and we'll we'll be doing this constantly and going back and forth and 80 percent of people won't have any idea what's happening they just go to work and they're trying to survive and feed their family and i i i think i i do see some of that happening where um people are just trying to survive at this point in time and um how we get meaningful engagement back, um, I think is going to be a challenge. So, so I am, I'm curious what you all think. I've been, I've been thinking about violence as that's been brought up in the, the boring ways, which Tad you're speaking of in the, in the obvious ways. So we have everything from terrorist attacks, nine 11, which everybody goes to that. Um, wars, battles that have always been going on. And, and this is something that Republicans and Democrats alike have, I've been on the same page with, you know what I'm talking? I mean, so do you think that the the movement of Black Lives Matter was an opportunity for Democrats and liberals to say, hey, let's jump on this? Because for years, they didn't give a shit, right? Same with immigration. So, and I'm trying to just sort of look at this from, um, oh gosh, uh, a, a very cynical, objective, I'm not taking a side stance to say, um, if if it's going on and no one's making a stink about it, let's just not let's not worry about it, right? Um, police brutality—it's always it's always happened. We know this. Um, the the criminal justice system—I mean, the things that have happened there—we we we've known about it, but we've we haven't. It's it was boring, right, until recently. Um, same thing. How many how many battles? How many wars have we engaged in across the entire globe? And no one's really bad at eye, unless it. Uh, you know, uh, for some reason, the Gulf Wars were a big deal because we finally were able to see it on TV like a video game. So that was kind of sexy and cool, uh, so to speak. But I, I'm not buying the fact that either side really gives a damn. That's That could be just uh, my, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that I, I have a hard time trusting politicians. And so if I'm going to support and endorse somebody personally, I have a tough time. I mean, unless it's somebody who's been really consistent. That's why... Um, I mean, and I'm, I've been unapologetic. Uh, I know some of you have too, about Bernie, Bernie was my guy. Cause at least, at least he said the same thing for all those years, you know? Um, but you know, whether it's, whether it's Republicans, guys like Trump who have this authoritarian, I don't give a shit, you know, I can shoot somebody and you're going to shoot him for me kind of thing. And I'm not going to condemn, you know, these, uh, alt-right guys. Um, or it's, other people who've been in power for years in Congress who haven't done a damn thing. Um, this is why I'm having a hard time with whomever really wins and has power. Violence is going to continue to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, 
if I could just like jump in on like one thing, because like, I like, I mean, you, you kind of like bring up this, like, don't both sides do this. And and it kind of depends on like what we mean by both sides, right? Like even Bernie like voted in, I don't think he, it, it, well, I, my memory is blanking here, but I don't think that he voted in favor of the 2003 invasion of Iraq, but um, perhaps he did. I don't think he did, but he did vote for like uh, regime change in Iraq being the official U.S. policy in the in the very end of the nineties, um, and and that's that's after we had literally killed a half million Iraqis, including several hundred uh, thousand children um, that uh, nobody in America knows about. Right? I mean, like like if 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 uh, somebody you know if some foreign power killed like a, like several hundred thousand of our children, and um, you know, and, and we responded uh, violently, perhaps, and 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 they said, well, those that's those Americans, their their religion teaches violence. Violence, right? I mean, that would be absurd, right? Um, so, I mean, so like Bernie has like made some mistakes, right? But it kind of like when we say both sides, it kind of depends on like what we mean by both sides. Do we mean like the actual left or do we mean like centrist liberalism uh, versus conservatives? But uh, but I will say this um, every time I'm, I'm specifically like, just talking about the two parties that we have. That yeah, have, yeah, okay. that have the power. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Like like every time and, and like that. And this is something I want to affirm in what you're saying. Like every time someone kind of like brings up that that quote, as you did, uh, like deriding like like the way that Trump kind of said, like, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. I might work where my mind goes always is like, uh, you know, Biden could have stood in front of like Fifth Avenue when he voted to kill a million and a half people and he wouldn't have lost a vote either. And, and, and like, and that's, that's kind of, to me, the predicament that we're in is that, is that like there was massive amounts of violence on, in both of these parties. And uh, Biden was a very, very ardent supporter of the Iraq war that killed a million and a half people for no reason. And every single one of those people, uh, yeah, I would say pretty much maybe all of them, but like definitely pretty close to all of them uh, had posed no threat whatsoever to Americans. And, and like that, that was, that was mass murder and uh, Biden was very in favor of it. And, and, you know, um, if he, you know, kind of did his thing where he's like, ah, come on, man. Like it was a different time. Like uh, give me a break. Um, I think a lot of liberals would probably be like, yeah, sure. It was a different time, whatever, like a million and a half people. So what? Uh, Whereas Trump could like, you know, shoot one person and liberals would kind of be like, well, that's outrageous, you know? Um, so anyways, that's the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's disheartening. It is. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's the part of the thing is, as we bring in faith and spirituality and religion into this, uh, that's why I personally have a hard time with any, uh, any specific religious group, a church or a pastor on stage saying, this is how we're going to vote. This is who we're going to vote for. And I think we've all experienced pastors and groups that have done that. It's incredibly frightening. And I know that we've been waiting on Dan because this is sort of like take the baton and run with this right now. Uh, but <laughs> can you talk right now or is Nora still crying? She's still crying, but I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> she's actually, she's calmed down a little bit, but um, she's upset that I'm not over there doing bedtime. So it's all your fault. Oh, tell her we're sorry. <laughs> the banality of evil, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, yeah, I'm, I'm a little rusty, but uh, these are things that I think about all the time because the, the truth of the matter is that we live in the, the world's largest uh, empire, right? And um, and voting for Biden or voting for Trump or whatever future Republican or Democrat or whatever other parties exist in the future is likely not going to change that. Um, uh, that is not to say that our votes don't matter. And um, 
our, our politics don't matter because I think there are um, more and less reckless candidates and policies. Absolutely. There are policies that will kill people. There are policies that will save people. Um, but I think ultimately for the Christian, um, you know, you probably heard it from more conservative people is that our hope is not in these political systems. And uh, it's something that Walter Brueggemann talks about. Um, uh, he, he, he's a lot more, uh, how do I say it? I think he's someone that, that, that people should read more. Um, he's a Hebrew or Old Testament scholar. And um, he has a really good understanding of the prophets and their um, contribution and their witness. And um, he talks about this prophetic imagination and in contrast to uh, what he calls the totalism of empire. And um, a lot of that is um, th that empire completely shapes all of our imagination of what is possible and what isn't possible, right? The empire tells us that, uh, of course, we can't have universal health care. It's so expensive. And then we go and spend in one day for, what was it? Was it trillion? How much money did we throw into um, the stock market around March or April of the pandemic when there was that big dip? We went and saved the stock market. We just threw money at it. Um, and, and that's kind of my... Um, and we're throwing money at it every night. Um, they're boosting it in during off hours to keep it going. Yeah, we're throwing billions of dollars into all kinds of useless things all the time. But I think that was such a clear <laughs> um, example of that. And, uh, and and I think what we need is, is, is people, um, not just a people of faith, but um, really those people who have an imagination that can see beyond what Walter Brueggemann calls that totalism um, and seeing uh, alternatives to the current arrangement um, of capitalism, of militarism, of consumerism. And those people could be people of faith, quote unquote, or they could not be. Most of the time they're artists and most of the time they get killed. Um, Walter Brueggemann says it's a, it's a voice from elsewhere. It's, it's people with no power typically. And um, you know, the question is, are we gonna listen to those people? And, and, and it seems like in 2020, it's Black Lives Matter. It's um, other grassroots movements like that. Um, and of course the empire the, the, in its totalist ways is going to do whatever it can to silence those people. Do you wanna say a little bit more about how religion interplays with that? Uh, making, making deals with the empire? I mean, I think we've, we have kind of already touched on it when we were talking about Christo-fascism, at least, and I can only speak to Christianity because that's kind of what I was, uh, it's the water that I swim in. Um, time and again, where um, whether it's from the pulpit uh, priming people for, uh, to, to accept a certain authoritarian view and, and as Tad pointed out, to, to question our own conscience, which is actually very unchristian. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd have to think about it some more. I'm rusty. 
but um, how other religions uh, fall into this, I have I have no idea. Yeah, and I and I think there is some mining that Christians can do within the tradition uh, to be, uh, for for lack of better words, that prophetic witness of uh, that can imagine new possibilities and alternatives, and. Um, yeah, that's just more dangerous. I think we've become very complacent. We enjoy the benefits that we reap, including myself, right? We all benefit from capitalism. We all benefit from, um, from the empire, but there are those that are more on the underside and they're getting squashed. And some of us here are getting squashed in different ways. Yeah. Well, if it's okay, I'd like to turn a little bit um, towards kind of the more personal reflection. Um, and one of our brew theologians, Terry, asked a great question um, during this season about um, how has this election season impacted our spiritual outlook or personal, wherever you sit in that realm. Um, but what has this done to your, your insides, your soul, whatever you call it? I find that there's boredom. Uh, I, I want to say, and everybody else, everybody's bored but me. I'm not bored, but I think that America is really bored. And it just goes to show when we're having so much fun with the fly on Mike Pence's hair head, you know, I'm like, shit, that's what it's come to. And that was to me like, there we go. That's how bored we are. But spirit, so I think spirituality is a, uh, Man, I, I don't know. I mean, because we have been bombarded. I mean, we already mentioned the fact that we have um, the nation on the brink of, of a hopefully not, but potential civil war based on, on race, things that we need to confront. Uh, we have a virus that's wiping out. How many? What's the number now? How many people? 218 was the last I saw, yeah. but I think it's more than that. Yeah. Um, and it does, like, like we said earlier, it wouldn't matter if it was double that or triple that. Like, But yet these are things that are stirring so I don't, I don't think people are being quiet because they've been home and they've either been consuming things, literally <laughs> a lot of calories, a lot of Amazon purchases. There's the other evil empire, Amazon, um, or home projects, or, or we're trying to keep busy and at the same time. I think because we're, we're aching for like real legitimate connection, uh, humans weren't it's like it's like now that i have a puppy it's like if you let the dog in a crate all day long that's miserable you know i think humans uh we're we're uh we're, we're almost like that like it's like we've been trapped in a uh what's the what's the old alternative rock song rat in a cage still just a rat in a cage no nobody 90s grunge on me here despite on my rage i'm still just a rat in a cage nobody janelle I know you weren't allowed to listen to music back in the no. 90s. <laughs> but there's all this bent up rage. So uh, I really do hope that the monks are doing some good work right now because uh, they're going to be the therapist of the future. They should be. Americans need to go to therapy. <laughs> uh, personally, I mean, I, I've been through uh, my own just stuff in, in a literal move and Lauren changing of jobs and everything of changing environments during the pandemic. So that's been pretty stressful. So I, I don't, I don't really know where my spirituality is at this point. I'm trying to figure that out. 
um, in the middle of all of the noise that's going around me, you know, like who, who am I and why am I here? I think, I think most people are trying to figure that question out and they, they're drowning in, uh, boredom. Yeah. That's why we're painting my, our nails blue. No, <laughs> you can't see that if you're listening. No, I've, I've got children. So my nails are blue for a reason. Yeah. Any other takers? I'll go, I guess. Alfred North Whitehead says that religion is uh, what you do with your solitariness. So uh, that opens it up for Ted to be able to talk about his quote unquote religion. But um, <laughs> it's a nice pass right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a pass. I, I can talk. Um, it's been odd for me because uh, I, I had uh, I put on social media something along the lines that, that I could not foresee because uh, my personality is such that I am always threat forecasting. I'm always thinking of worst case scenarios and I couldn't, I could see this thing going on for a while, but I honestly thought in terms of COVID, I thought that we were going to be in a better place by the summer. <laughs> and that was like way further than most people thought. They're like oh, a couple of weeks, it'll be gone. <laughs> right. Um, but I couldn't uh, forecast the, the, both the joy and the grief. Uh, I lost a coworker to cancer, not even COVID. Um, and I got to see him the, the night or the day before he passed. And uh, that was that was wild. Um, with masks and stuff sitting in front of somebody who's about to die. It's like, should I wear a mask or not? This guy's literally dying. It's, it was a weird, weird thing to do. Um, uh, I got a new job and I'm already much happier. Um, so that's weird. Like I, it's almost like a survivor's guilt in a way, <laughs> like, so it, it almost feels like you shouldn't be happy. Like you shouldn't be experiencing any happiness, happiness or joy whatsoever during this time. But I'm like, you know what? Screw that. No, like, I'm going to enjoy, uh, the time that I had with my daughter and, um, the time that I've had with my family and the time to just kind of slow down. And there's obviously a ton of horrible things that have happened as well. And uh, yeah, just going with the flow, trying to keep that open-handed posture and not try to grasp uh, to, you know, wanting things to be the way they were before the pandemic or something like that. I mean, I guess my perspective is that, like, I don't really even think in terms of spirituality uh, per se, but... Uh, I set it up for I, you, Pat. I set I, it up for well, you. Well, no, I had, like, a like a, like a like an infant, like, you know, being born in July, so I had a, Uh-oh, we're losing like, you. A little, like, a little kid. Oh. Um, we lost you, you an infant. Me? No, it was just Okay, your inter- okay, internet. so... Uh, yeah, it probably is whatever it goes out. That's another thing that I've lost the internet. Um, it doesn't have enough bandwidth to like let me play Call of Duty every day, and like that's the real tragedy, right? Um, no, like so I, you know, like I, like I had like a like my firstborn child was born in July, like right in kind of the middle of this, and um, and it's it's adorable, and like you know, it's it's like it's like you have like a little like baby that just like irrationally smiles at you and is happy, uh, randomly, which is very cute. Um, and it, it, there's also like this 
this aspect of like, okay, well, like if the violence breaks out, like how do I protect this child? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, there's like, there's a different end, like tiers of like happiness and horror kind of like bound up in that. Um, and, um, I don't like the only thing that's like really kept me sane is, is like more than anything, just like ever since I finished my doctorate, I just kind of realized that I'd have no, uh, no, no one ever guiding me, uh, like from here on out to ever like, uh, take care of my own mind and my own mental faculties and, uh, to pay attention to make sure I'm like learning and like focusing myself. Uh, and so like when I finished my doctorate, I just kind of like resolved to learn for an hour a day, every day. And like, that's probably the most religious thing that I do other than taking like a few days off on the weekend <laughs> is that uh, like I I very intentionally like wake up in the morning uh, at like 5 or 5.30 a.m. And, and read for an hour in the day and and that's that's kind of like my most spiritual practice probably like for lack of better terms right now is to um, is to just kind of uh, be interested in things and to, um, uh, to to keep learning and to hope that there's another side to this uh, because maybe there's not right like maybe maybe this is just a new world and what I'm learning uh, might just be part of like something that may or may not be useful in the great changes of the 20th century or 21st century or whatever so um, yeah that that's that's kind of like what my world feels kind of like chaotically right uh, like like right now and um, it's frustrating right like I mean it's, it's like it's genuinely tragic it's very sad um and uh like i mean it's heartbreaking like it, it's it's nuts the world that that we're living in and uh and i'm a college teacher like my my wife is like a an uh, elementary school like teacher and specialist and i'm a college teacher and we can both work from home uh which means that we're both like working with people who can't work from home and like that's a that's a luxury that we have and it like it's something that i constantly feel guilty of because like uh about four and five out of people like are not able to work from home and um so like all of those kind of those things that are like personally enriching for me are are also kind of tragic and constant reminders and I, I think it's just it's good to just let ourselves kind of say like this is a bad time right like this is a um this is like like intellectually taxing it's uh um it's it's uh, deleterious and dangerous from a term of like from in terms of like public health um and it's also like politically like um like we're, we're right on the edge and in, in a in a way Way that we have not been since perhaps like the the 1860s right and um and um like we are we are in on the edge in, in such a way that if we were in a civil war probably none of our politicians would uh, actually talk about it in those terms for for a couple years right like i mean like we're in we're in a, like a, a real crisis and i think it's important that people let themselves say that and like acknowledge that and feel that and like however you feel is fine right um, so I don't know that that's generally my take on, on this kind of like chaotic time. I resonate with that deeply with multiple things. I, I think the one thing that I had going for me was being able to go outside and take a walk, you know, like I looked forward to every day going on a walk and then the fucking fires happened and I couldn't breathe outside because over here yes. it was like raining ash, like for three months or something. Right. I mean, like, that's a whole different level that we haven't even gotten into, right? Is that like we're we're literally seeing like more pronounced effects of the great changes and like in terms of like climate effects, right? And and all of a sudden everybody has learned to look at the air quality index and understand what that means, right? Like all at the same time. Um, and um, I mean, like I didn't know anything. Like I feel like I'm more 
studied than most on like climate change stuff. And like, I didn't really know how to like read air quality index all that much or like think about like how that was going to change. And like, yeah, and like, like Dan says, like now it is. And um, I never like exercised outside before this pandemic and like I've gotten into like running outside but now I have to check the air quality index to see if I'm maybe going to get a COPD if I like uh go exercise today <laughs> right and and that's a that's a that's a terrifying like n- like bizarre thing to have to think about right like that's not fair and um oh, and, and and we are just at the cusp like just at the beginning of it because yeah. uh because it costs it would cost too much money to not uh keep going on the same path yeah yeah, and do I have to wear my mask for COVID or do I wear my mask for smoke? Or do I wear my mask <laughs> yeah, for right. both? Yeah. Like yeah. it's been really strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're on mute. I'm curious, uh last couple of days having snow, is it better there right now? The fires? It is. Um, but we just listened to the report at lunch and um, they expect that the fires will pick back up again because there's no precipitation um, for at least the next two weeks. And they expect them to be burning at some level, at least until probably January. Jeez. Yeah, because the snow, my... I was going to say the snow, what what helps is is new fuel, um, right? It, if you have enough snowpack, the, the fire can't spread. But it, it's not like you'd think uh, dumping a, a bucket of water on a fire. It doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my per, my my end on this is that like I'm as a as a college teacher teaching like remotely right now. I'm teaching students all over the state, so I have like a lot of students in Denver that are fine uh, and are just like in threat of their landlords kicking them out for not being able to work uh, and becoming homeless. But I have other students who are emailing me saying like, "Oh, I'm up in the Estes Park region, so we've been evacuated, uh, and uh, I'm homeless right now. So I like, can I please have some." flexibility on this assignment (laughs) and and that's like that's the nut situation of like of 2020 right is that um like i have some students that are homeless because of climate crises um and i have um like you know and maybe in another class i'm teaching environmental ethics where students trying to go into the fracking industry which has expanded fivefold in the last 10 years in colorado um in order to create more of this problem uh where like we know like from like like we have good evidence like scientifically speaking that uh wildfires will increase at least 60 times worse as they are right now um by four degrees celsius which is what we're on par like we're on course for by the end of the century right like so i mean so like it's a, it's a massive mix of things of like here here is our crisis right here uh, but other people are experiencing a crisis over here and other people are training to make it worse over here and like here's where it's going and it's inconceivable and um and that's 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 the situation that we're in right is like it's just it's inconceivable uh it's it's it, like the human imagination is not capable of 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 making sense of of that amount of catastrophe mm-hmm yeah yeah oh sorry to be a doomsayer though like i I know that that's that's what i have the reputation as being <laughs> as but <laughs> i was gonna say that's, but that's it, the only reason you're here 
right? Well, no, but it, but I mean, it becomes it comes out of like a like a sense of like of wanting to have a profound hope, right? Like I I wouldn't do this work if I didn't think that there was some like amount of hope. Um, but like I I think that we need to look at things like Trumpism or climate change and like uh like pandemics and racism and like all of these things are like tied together, right? And and that's what those of us who like want to see a better future have to think about is like in the future we might we might need to think about like how to force people uh, to um, uh, I don't know like have healthcare and force people to have like jobs with dignity and force people to uh, have modes of transportation that do not uh, poison their children's lungs you know like and, and that, how dare that's you. kind of like. How I know, right? Like, no, healthcare. I mean, like, <laughs> I, that, that, that's controversial, right? Like, that's like forcing you to have healthcare is like that's socialism. So, uh, so I must be killed off as a as a as a as an enemy or something like that. But uh, I, I I recently jumped on someone's Facebook. Took I took the bait and I shouldn't have. About uh, I was like, oh, healthcare is a right, you know, because the guy was like asked this really leading question. I was like, it wasn't a question. It was like you, your statements in the question. And so I was like, um, I'm married to a doctor, which means I'm a doctor by proxy. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, basically, uh, but no, knowing the amount of healthcare professionals that I have uh, come to know across you know, the board these years, they all think it's a right, you know? So, and I just put that out there. I'm like, and then I try to put some funny memes in like, Hey, I'm Ryan, I'm lighthearted. And this other guy comes in, well, I'm a healthcare professional. And I don't think it's a right. And I just left a Kramer reference of, Whoa, you know, I'm like, I'm just getting out of here. You know, I'm, I can't, <laughs> there's always going to be the one that doesn't think it's a right, you know, mm-hmm. imagine that. Right. Though. I mean, somebody goes to the hospital. Oh, I, I can't, I can't, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going to take care of your needs. I'm going to go over here. Like, no, I mean, no, no, it's ridiculous. Any nurse and doctor knows that it is a right. You're going to take care of that person. Now, what we do with the insurance, that's, that's another conversation, but yeah, thus, but that should be, but that's the thing with an election coming up, healthcare has to, it has to be on the, I mean, has that been talked about much? Not really a little bit. It's, no, because the 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 liberal is is opposed to it. So, but but the other guy wants to kill you faster. So, like that's 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 uh, all we get. I'm just it's it, Such ba- it but it baffles me that strong Christians are opposed to universal health care. I I my mind's always been blown about that one. Like really? Hey, hey, leave the healing to Jesus. Okay, that's right, Brian. <laughs> You're just getting in the way. Hey, and and if I were a, a well, I want to be a, if I were a libertarian and like, yes, the church can do this, but the church hasn't done it. So, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we need some help. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be all for it. The church could take care of everybody, but well, they're they too, too busy doing other things. Buying private jets and shit. So as we come to a close, we're running out of time. This has been awesome. Thank you all for taking time to do this. Um, So I think probably all of us have already voted, but there will be people listening to this that may have not decided yet. And so what's something that you would say to an undecided voter? Or or I'll give you an opt out if you want to uh, talk about something that gives you hope for the future. You can choose either or. (laughs) 
I'm getting funny faces, you guys. Like, what kind of choice is that? I'll bite. This is a fine question. This is an important question, right, that you have asked. Um, I will take the less optimistic one. I will take, like, what would you say to a non-committed voter? Um, And um, I I would say, like, it would depend on what perspective we're coming from, right? I I would say um, that there's a certain segment of the population that, uh, looks at these two candidates and says, um, I don't know, like, do I want to vote for like the raciest sociopathic, uh, like uh, sex predator, uh, climate denialist character, or do I want to vote for the guy who's all of those things and slightly worse? Um, and to that person, I would say, um, I don't know, like maybe you want to just not vote at all. And I honestly can't I can't like I'm not going to voter shame anybody for not participating. Um, I voted for Biden. And when I did, I felt dirty. I felt disgusting. I felt like I had just voted for someone who I genuinely believe is a predator and a denialist and like all kinds of awful things. And I literally did it because I am a communist who teaches kids how to think in colleges. And I am in a dangerous group. Um, and I have family <laughs> members who also are in like uh, and I and I I don't, I don't say this as a joke. I also have family members who are in um, very vulnerable situations who I, I think like going on a few more years uh, aren't just in a situation where they could be fired like me, but who could literally be um, imprisoned or killed. And um, so I, I did it for, I did it for that. I did like a pure harm mitigation. Um, but if you, on the day that this comes out, uh, Joe Biden was asked what they what he thinks about cops shooting an unarmed black man like for no reason. And uh, his answer was like the looters need to get it together and stop doing that and need to be repressed if they don't stop looting. Or I mean, like like the, the situation is grotesque and awful. And so anybody who wants to say, um, I don't know what to do, uh, I don't know like who to vote for. I want to say like, yeah, like I agree with you. Um, I don't know what to tell you either. And I, I am certainly never going to vote or shame you. Um, if somebody is looking at it and saying, like uh, I don't know whether to vote between like uh, like the the center right guy or the the far right fascist guy. Like in my perspective at that point is to kind of say there's literally I'm also not going to argue with you because there's literally nothing that I could say because we have fundamentally different sets of morality and um, I don't know how to argue with you about whether or not people should be cared for uh, and and whether or not uh, we should commit ecocide or uh, hurt children or um, hurt people who are not my same skin and color or what whatever um, so so I guess my my kind of view all around is to kind of say like um, I think we have a pretty good idea of uh, the the left candidate candidate would have won in uh, 2016 and it would have won definitely in 2020 and uh, we're not, we don't have a left-wing option so um, you know pick what you will and um, I'm not going to be the one to vote or shame you <laughs> so anyways cool. that's my Thanks. long rant about what that, that what that looks like for me <laughs> a very tad uh, <laughs> response yeah, right right where i i re like i i reel you in with like a laugh and then i make it really really dark and, and depressing in a hurry right that's what i do right like that's my move yeah he's like ah sex predators and these people are gonna kill me yeah but right. yeah yeah uh yeah my response is if you're undecided in 2020 
undecided voter and you can vote. Uh, with the economy aside, who would you vote for? That is a question I would pose. Yep. I'm voting for Biden. I still have my ballot there half filled out. Um, can't tell if I'm going to feel less or more sick than 2016. I would probably say to you, um, how can you love your neighbor? And obviously, that's not as clear as we want it to be. Um, but when you're looking at things like climate change and Black Lives Matter, um, how do you love your neighbor? Because if we don't especially act on climate change, we're not going to have any world to save. And so. I voted for Biden and honestly, it is a not Trump vote for the most part. But I also think that he, our country, since it's so divided, um, that he he will lend himself to be the kind of leader, not, not the leader. He's not, you know, I'm not going to say, Oh, he's the man, but the kind of leader who can help uh, mend some of those bridges and build them uh, that, that we so desperately need right now. And I think Trump clearly has burned all the bridges. So for me, while they're not that much different on a lot of things, uh, a lot of issues, uh, both parties to me are very similar, but, uh, I, I think there, there's, um, yes, flaws in him. I'm not going to say he's innocent, but I think that he can unite us in ways in which Trump clearly has shown he can't. So character does matter at the end of the day and how you, how you choose to lead others. Just like Justin Turner going out on that field without a mask and his teammates. Bad example. You know, leaders matter. Leaders do matter. I, I know we say no one gets the last word, but there's one other thing that I wanted it. to say. Last word. Last word. And I already forgot it. Damn it. Uh, oh, one thing that made it a little easier for me to vote. Not that I was going to vote for Trump, but just to vote at all was uh, risk mitigation, as Tad um, pointed out, but also which candidate is more likely to listen to anybody other than their own voice. And that was pretty clear to me. I don't know if that's convincing, but. It, it's important. Yep. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming and talking and being honest and open. And I appreciate it. And we're going to put this out there. It should be out tomorrow, hopefully by noon. Um, so. There we go. If you have any regrets, you need to get to me early. <laughs> so, um, Ryan, you want to close us out? With every head bowed and every <laughs> eye closed. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and make sure you share it on the line. Thanks, Ted, Dan, Janelle. I miss you guys. I miss Denver. It's a beautiful city, even though you guys got that air quality right now. Uh, I I look forward to visiting when all this all this shit's over and there's a new normal again. 
but uh, if you're out there listening right now, keep uh, yeah, keep on, keep on listening. Why not? I mean, got nothing better, dude. Right? <laughs> it's 2020, uh, and uh, and why don't you, while you're at it, go pick up one of Tad's books? So yeah, I've got- written too many, so and uh, more in the future, obviously because I have too much time on my hands. So like, who knows what's gonna happen, right? All right, everybody. Have a great night. All right. Cheers. Peace.